everyone, and welcome to the Oklahoma Songwriters Podcast, where each week we find out just what makes our Oklahoma songwriters tick. If you've ever been interested in the process of how songs get written, or if you're a songwriter looking for tips and inspiration, then you are in the right place. I do one-on-one interviews with your favorite Oklahoma artists and dig into why and how they write their music. I'm your host, Jared Voluch, and I'm very, very happy you're here. Let's get started. Hello and welcome again to the Oklahoma Songwriters Podcast, and I am Jared Veluch, as always. And today we have my good friend Justin Logan. How you doing, man? Hey, hey, good to be here. Right, well, good to be where I always am in the studio. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll be having some pictures up uh, from Justin's studio here, and it, the, your studio has a title to it, correct? It's the cabin. The cabin. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, it's a loving name. It's it was given before I even had access out here. So, man, it's got a badass feel to it too. I've been wandering around in here, and it's this is the type of place you want to record. It makes you want to record because it's got that like I don't know. It's the same feeling you get when you sit down in your own damn living room. Yeah, and you're, you're playing the guitar on the couch. You're just like, eh, I feel yeah. good. Yeah, um, it's like there's stuff to kind of do with your hands everywhere mm-hmm. and stuff to keep your mind busy, but. I try to make it feel really comfortable and not overly uh, polished because I've been in some sterile recording environments where it like, I felt bad going to pee. Like I was like trying to, you know, wipe the floor or something after I peed. And it's like, here, like, don't be on my floor, you know, but, <laughs> but totally like, you know, you're, you should be comfortable here. So. Yeah. No, it totally says that. And that's how kind of I keep my environment anyways. We're all, if you guys didn't know, know this before, artists are, uh, usually kind of messy people yeah. because our minds are super messy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's this tangled up web of belongings and ideas. Yeah, I have uh, this pile of just everything on my desk and if somebody moves one thing, I'm screwed. Dude, there's no way, I'll never find it yeah. again. But if you leave it alone, I'll always know where it is and I can keep my, I, it keeps it organized and it's weird. It's super part of my ritual way. too, like in my workflow, if I'm like, in a mix or I need, like, I just need to take a break for a second. I'll be like, Oh, I'm going to go look for that thing. And I'll pace around the room for three minutes looking for something. And then when I come back, my ears are kind of a little more rested and ready to go. And you know, it's a natural way to re- regulate yeah. yourself. So, Oh yeah. There's a process to wasting time properly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm, a, I'm the master. I'm the master. It's beautiful. I tell people I run on Pacific time, dude. I know I'm in the central time zone, but that's just the way it is. Yeah. You are where you are and you got to live the way you got to live, yeah. man. But yeah, we are down here in Ada, right? It is mm-hmm. Ada still. Yep. Awesome. And this is a great little property, man. Yeah, it's really cool. It's uh, it's cool to have sentimental value as well because it's within the family and everything. So I don't know. I feel a certain reverence to this place and responsibility. I learned half of what I know about music in this room, you know, from nice. old, old guys and stuff. So it's really, uh, really a cool place to, to see people's music come to life and my own music come to life too. So Hell yeah. Yeah, I got to a special preview of some of his tracks today, and they are fantastic. Um, you got a lot of cool things coming, man. Yeah, Come I'm on. looking forward to it. It's it's good times in life. I feel like I'm supercharged, and things are about to just... Yeah, man, I hope so. You're one of the people that I definitely root for. I don't say it, obviously, enough. I appreciate I you saying that, man. I don't see it that much, but like, it's good to... I keep track of you, man, for sure. That means a lot to me, especially... Uh, and the highway's pretty loud. Sorry about that. Nah, it is what it is. But uh, I think we met at JJ's, right? Yeah, Through, I think that uh, is the first time. The Seventh Day Rebellion stuff. We may have played together the first time I met you there. 
I can't remember. That was probably one of the first, like my very first JJ's experience. Yeah. Oh, we did. Because I, I do remember it was your first time there, and I would, I hadn't been, I hadn't been there that terribly long, really. And we played at like four in the afternoon or some shit yeah, like probably. that. Like it was, it was not there prime was, time. Yeah, there was no one, and we played, uh, didn't know anything about me, and I don't look like I would be that good at music if you just look at me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I'm sure, but I had a great time, and that was the. I didn't see you again probably for like a month after that, a month or two. But. Yeah, man. Well, you're one of those people when you, I don't know, I feel like I'm the same way. People don't expect me to be able to sing the way I sing, play quite as well as I do. Uh, when you walked in, I mean, I didn't know anything about you. I didn't disc, you know, whatever, just throw you off in my mind when I on sight. But I was like, all right, let's just see what happens. Let's see what happens with this weird yeah. white guy. Yeah, and I was really pleasantly surprised because... Well, we've talked about this. Your style is definitely not just, it's not folk. It's not, I mean, you have folk elements like we all have because, I mean, this is that's Oklahoma, man. This yeah, is where we live. So it's, it's mashed up yeah. borderlands, man. Yeah, but you definitely have an amazing style. It's got some funk and some soul elements and some blues, and you rip up that fucking guitar, too. Yeah, man, that's, it's, it's cool to be able to, to have the access to, you know, the talented people that I've had around me a lot of the times that have shown me how to get better at music and stuff. And like, I think that being able to play drums and like the rhythm and everything else, like makes guitar playing better in a way oh, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like my right hand, I, it's like part of a drum set sometimes, you know, you know what? That's uh that's one of the most beneficial things to it. I, I have a really good sense of rhythm and pocket feel when I play, but that's because I, I was raised classically and so I played with a metronome my entire metronome. life. Yeah, my metronome was what grounded me. Mm -hmm. And so even now, like I have a your internal a natural meter, and I know mm -hmm. whenever I screw up and misstep. And you know, a lot of times people aren't playing with me, but I know that if people are playing with me, I have to stay on target. Yep. Or you need to know when you stumble how to get back on. And who's in who's time. one is the one. Right. Who's number one on the measure is the one. Like who we following. Yeah. I always default to the drummer. Drums always. <laughs> I find sometimes, and I can tell with you know five seconds into a song playing with somebody for the first time, how their meter is and how everything is and where their natural instinct is. You know, because mm -hmm. people. The first time they play with you, even if they're not nervous, like they're going to put their bad habits on display, like from the jump, unless you guys have already rehearsed together and done this and that. So like you can see when people are pushing or pulling or like what the, you know, it's just easy to tell. But the people that grew up with metronomes in their ears and developing that sense of time inside, like those are the people that have an easier time on stage or in a mm -hmm. recording environment and stuff like that. Like that's the best thing you can do for your musical career is just put a metronome in your head and go to sleep with it in your head and wake up and just like that way you understand what steadiness is, you know? And once you understand what steadiness is, that's when you can start kind of letting the, letting it breathe. Like, you know, the Steve Jordans of the world and stuff like that. Yeah. But you need to be able to lock in on it first, in my opinion. Well, that's huge. Um, and studying rhythm was what, and then having like, I, there are plenty of guitar players that can rip a riff really, really fast, but can they do it in time consistently? Because the metronome is what exposes you to your own faults. Yes. It's it when does. you realize that I speed up through this little section of four notes and then I slow down on this next four because it's a little harder because it's this jump or whatever. And then it, you force yourself to go with it. And then eventually that's when something sounds smooth and perfect yep. and polished and all that when stuff. It's, when it's riding on top of the groove instead of mm -hmm. just trying to 
figure out where the groove is the whole time. Yeah. And that's another thing is like when your internal tempo is really good, it makes the space between notes less awkward for you. And that's really important because if you don't have that space between notes, like anybody can learn how to play 16th note runs that don't have any breaks, but it's harder to learn something that's musical and melodic and rhythmic in a way that like the space is there. But if you, back to what I was saying, with the internal time and stuff, like if you're counting and you're sure of the beat and you're not worried about it, then your entry isn't gonna be late or early because you've taken your nerves out of the equation, you've taken the thinking out of it, and you're just existing, waiting for that note to come in or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It just kind of naturalizes it. So, yeah, and you got to have that. Got to. Or at least I hope. If you're going to keep if, doing this business, then yeah, yeah. you got to do it. If you want to record music, you're probably going to have to figure that out. That's just... And you know what? There's also the old-fashioned way of doing things like they did with Elvis, where they just stick a microphone in the middle of a room and yeah. say, play the song. So... And some people dig that sound. They really do. And there is a quality to it that is very raw and natural and can be incredibly powerful in its own right. But I like the the one-take recordings. We were talking a little bit about Mm -hmm. that earlier. I think that that's a really honest way to present your music. Yeah. I think it's it's neat because people, you know, they want to hear honest representations of music. and, And sometimes you can overproduce things to a point where it's like, that's not the same song you wrote on the acoustic guitar. Like the ones that we were, I was showing you earlier, you know, like it's a pop song, but I wrote it on acoustic guitar. And sometimes I feel like I get a little too far removed with that. And the answer to that or the complete opposite is just like the one take recording where you're just like, here's what you would see if you, if I was at a bar and you came in and saw me play, this is what the song would be. Yeah. And it's, I like the really raw, honest takes of songs like that. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just a different version, you know? Yeah, you're building a representation when you record track after track and put all these layer all these elements in to to accent, you know, certain things and make something better, bigger as it should be in your mind. You know, you hear this thing, this idea and you try to produce it that way. But then there's also there's something magical when you allow people their take. Mm-hmm. When with the honest one take of just your song, people hear their own ideas and they turn it into something that it is for them because in their mind I could see someone listening to the um you know uh the song you just played uh, uh what is the title of that track the, the, the first very last, one. Oh, close enough close enough uh I could see someone listening to that and then telling you that you know oh yeah you have a really cool like country f- feel somehow with that and then somebody else tell you like Oh man, you got some blues in your soul don't yep. you and then I could hear somebody else saying man that's you got some funk going on right there I really like that and people hear what they need to hear. Yeah, and what they've heard already, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder, you said something about uh, what you hear in your head and, like, the mind's ear. I've been really fascinated by that lately because only within the last few years, like, that I discovered that not everyone has such, like, a pronounced radio in their head. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it almost makes you feel crazy sometimes, like, the inability to shut the thing off and stuff, but... Oh yeah. What's what has like your experience has been with trying to match that to what you get out of it, like on a recording, trying to trying to sync up the two and maybe reconcile the differences. Uh, very rare. Well, I've never hit the target dead on. Um, as far as what I hear in my mind versus what I produce, and I've come to understand for me, I'm never going to get to that. 
and I'm not supposed to. Um, so that's not the finish line for you. No, it's never been the finish line. A lot of times, especially when I involve other people in the, in my process, um, and they add their own elements, I find that I've produced products far superior mm -hmm. than to what my, even my own mind's ear thought it could be. Um, but I've, yeah, I just, I let that go a long time ago. And that's a really healthy thing for songwriting. I love what I am able to do because a lot of times, yeah, it, like I, I'll, I'll aim it out in the distance and then I just start marching there. And then where I arrive is where I was meant to arrive. And it's not necessarily, it's never really been a less quality product, but it's never, some things just aren't, I don't know. It's, it's like the wanting, you have this perfect idea of getting what you want. But even if you got what you wanted, it wouldn't have been yeah, what you, you wanted. Yeah, you wouldn't have been satisfied. With you it. wouldn't have been satisfied. I think some of it is we can't actually hear it in our head. Mm. We hear a vague idea of a part. But mm -hmm. like, if you really think about like, what is that sound that I hear in my head? Is it a guitar? Is that texture thing that's floating around in my head? Like, is that what I'm actually hearing? Or is that what my brain is just simplifying it into? So like, mm -hmm. if it's changing that much, then... You know, a lot of people are saying, well, that's not how I heard it in my head. And it's like, well, what are you hearing in your head? Like, you try to describe it better or learn the language of communicating music and stuff so you can. But, like, I, th I think that it changes. I think it tricks us a lot of times. And it's, like, constantly evolving and kind of escaping our grasp sort of as, like, a way to move the, move the ball along. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, I have a song that I recorded myself with uh, my band and... Um, it's called Handle It. And what we did is there's this one section that I'm super proud of because I did all the vocals for that song. And um, I had a vague idea that I wanted like a three-part harmony behind this line that I was doing. What I wound up doing is actually having a three-part harmony over my four, or over my, my, uh, my, whatever, my melody. And I actually had them kind of follow it, but in a weird way. And it wound up being so much cooler because I just screwed around. Yeah. And you took just then, a rough idea. Yeah. I took a rough idea, a vague thing, and I just pointed my direction. Like, I just, I know I want it here. And I know that I want something thick and fat and full and kind of funky. And so I just was like, you know, I don't even know what tones I use. I'm sure I used a, a three, a five, and a seven or something on it. And uh, even a lower harmony with it as well. And it just like, just beefs it up. It beefed it up so much and made it so powerful. That's it's my favorite moment in the song. And with uh with people like us, we don't have favorite songs. We have we have favorite, favorite ten second mm -hmm. you know portions of songs where it's like that, that's it right there. And There's, somebody will hear it and they'll be like, I mean, yeah, sounds that was cool. cool. And you're like, no, you don't understand. Like you don't know <laughs> the magic that happened yeah. in that moment. I had Charlie standing in the hallway and I put this microphone six feet from him so we could do this thing and like whatever, you know, whatever it is. But that's the sentimental stuff that I wish people could experience of records, like the occurrences of recording them and stuff. Like, uh -huh. I'm endlessly fascinated with the behind the scenes stuff with music. So oh, I, yeah. I, you know, I catch myself online watching, like making up videos all the time, just seeing what people are doing. It's like, that's who the musicians are. Like who you talk about in your songs and stuff is, is cool. But like who you are is just like on a day-to-day -day basis. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with privacy and the like thereof with, you know, pop stars and Instagram stars and stuff. <laughs> yeah. and, and like, 
I do want to be connected to artists in that way. I do want to be connected to my heroes in that way. But it's just, uh, it's weird to think that on the other side of that, you know, someone wants to know that information about one of my songs or one of your songs or something like that. Like scaling that up and down is kind of weird to me. Yeah. It's goofy to live your whole life via social media. It is. Yeah, it's rough. I don't know. I do a horrible job at it. There, are, I'm sure my podcast and everything else would be far more successful if I was on there every second. Like, I thought that to myself on the way down. I was like, I should be Instagramming the trip down and all this stuff. And Some people have that, man. Some yeah. people can do it and they don't feel... Well, I'd have to hire a, a team. Seriously, man. Like, to do no it. way. Like, I, I have... I block out time every Sunday to work on... Uh, social media stuff and like you know i run social media for a couple different things and it's like it's torture dude like i hate it i don't like having my phone like my phone screen being on right now so i can have reference to notes and stuff is kind of giving me anxiety you know what i mean i hate oh I yeah hate phones i just yeah, don't my like phone them. i yeah i don't hear other people say that as much and i'm sure that we all feel that but like yeah i get i don't have my uh i, I always have my phone set to vibrate except now it's on silent uh but I have it set to vibrate because I can't, I can't take a ding. No. I can't take mm -mm. A, a ring. I can't take anything without a shockwave of anxiety flowing through me. It's just like every bad thing you've ever done or not taken care of or like all mm -hmm. the things that you, like before you go to sleep, lay down. Every time I hear a phone ding, I'm just like, oh, here's someone coming to tell me about my worst character traits. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's never that, but you know, your brain is just going to do what it does. Yeah, man. Every time. Shoot. Well, uh, tell all tell all these listeners that don't know Justin Logan, which I pray that you all do soon, if you don't already. Um, but tell tell them a little bit about yourself, how you were raised, you know, some life to this point. Yeah, with Justin. So welcome to Ada. This is where I was born and raised, and uh, yeah, I spent the majority of my life here. I've been around, you know, obviously, but. Uh, raised by two really amazing parents. Yeah. Uh, they live here in town still with my mom's parents to live here as well. Both my sisters, I'm a middle child and both my sisters live here. So we kind of have like a little, little Ada thing going, but, uh, I, you know, I grew up pretty conservative probably I would say, but insofar as musicians can be conservative because music, um, especially my mom's side of the family is like pervasive. This place is, is a kind of physical representation of that. So I was exposed to music, you know, from birth pretty much and, and just like encapsulated by it in so many ways. And, and there was never a question about what I was going to do, like what, what I was going to be when I, how I was going to spend my time when I got older. And so that was really a good thing for me because I was pretty socially awkward and music gave me a way to be, to fit in with something, to have a thing, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And so my papa makes instruments. He makes mountain dulcimers and hammer dulcimers. Oh yeah, you were talking about that earlier. Yeah, yeah, there's some on the wall. Yeah, those are awesome, man. It's cool to play something that your grandfather made. Like that's a, I didn't really realize it when I was a kid because kids don't have that depth or something, I don't know. But Yeah, there's just no way to know at that age. Yeah, but now I like look back and I'm just like, kind of blown away because it's pretty rare to meet someone that even makes instruments, you know? Yeah. So 
anyway, that's that's how I got into music. Was my papa? Uh, he made those mountain dulcimers, and they're really good for kids to play because the frets are close together, the neck's pretty small. It sits in your lap, so you're not going to drop it for that easily. You know, it's just a good instrument for kids. So I started playing that when I was five. He, I started going to craft shows with him, and I would play it, and people would just, like, gather around because watching a kid do anything like an adult is just, like, infatuating to us, you know? Isn't that weird, yeah. man? I've seen that so much. Uh I'll get, like, friends and family members and stuff like that. They'll show me a video of a kid doing something like, you know, look at this 10-year-old playing Eruption on Electric. And I'm like, well, That's yeah, cool. let's, let's see him in another 10 years yeah. if he's still playing. Even. Play something he wrote. Like, let's yeah. see if this kid... And it's good, dude. Like, I'm so glad that I had music at that young age. Mm -hmm. But there's also, like, a weird pressure when you get good at something as a kid to very quickly become significantly like known for that you know what i mean and like it, it sort of ties itself into everything you do and like the macaulay culkin thing happens you know mm -hmm. what i mean where like you're you get all the success as a kid and then you have no idea how to translate that to an adult or situations like me happen where like i was pretty talented as a kid and you know, have found varying levels of success at it, but it's not like I'm a like household celebrity name in any circles, you know? And so right. it's like, I, that it doesn't change my directive and it doesn't change like what I'm going to do with my time and music and stuff, but it does sort of, uh, it felt like there was a lot of pressure to, before I got to be like 20 years old or whatever, to like have like big success, which whatever that is. Right. And removing that pressure from myself was sort of one of the greatest like get to know get to know me experiences that I've had in my life but anyway back to the point of of uh who I am I'm I'm a musician man I'm a producer I I love helping people craft their songs or you know get better at music and this and that I play my own I play guitar for Chance Anderson and then uh you know, I just, I have lots of little things going, but everything, all the time, constantly in my brain is just music. I feel like yeah. it's almost neglectful of other things in my life, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've been there. Plenty thought, of neglectful moments. <laughs> I thought that maybe there was like a mental illness to it for a little while, but then I've gotten around people, you know, people like you that have the same kind of thing going, and it's like, yeah, we're just musicians, man. Like, we probably, it probably is some kind of weird brain thing, but it's not prohibitive of having a great life. You know what I mean? Right. No, you can still have a great life. It's just this, you, if you work a nine to five and you're like truly a musician, especially if you're a songwriter composer, I feel like you're always going to have that nagging feeling in the back of your mind. Cause that's what was with me. But now that I've dove, dove in fully in the only part that I even remotely don't like about my life is the lack of, you know, tons of money <laughs> yeah yeah there's not a lot of extra sitting around <clears throat> yeah but that's just for a period man and you know yeah. what i get by just fine and i mm -hmm. make a good living but uh, you know that's really and that's if that's the worst thing then that's really not that bad because now that my whole life revolves around music i've found other avenues mm -hmm. because i get to come down here yeah and i right. get to see this beautiful setup that you have here and i get to see other musicians living their dreams and chasing their dreams and doing all these things and it's that's inspiring and that 
it yeah. not, it lifts me up and it, I and then I get to help lift everyone I know up as best I can by doing this and it's like it involves you in a much bigger world that way and it lets yeah. me know that man we're all in the same boat we're all just trying to get where we're going and if we God connecting connecting us all is probably the biggest key to everything yeah. honestly trying to trying to stay connected is challenging I think that the community and uh, just the respect and, and love for other musicians that most everyone that I know in the music scene has is like, it's a pretty crazy support system, man. And like, yeah, there's not that much money to go around with most musicians. Some of us, it's our spending habits like me. Some of us, it's like <laughs> just, it's hard to make money with music. In yeah. the early stages, especially. But well, because I've always thought about it like this. I didn't realize it until I left my job. But it's, uh, which I should have, because when I left my job, I thought about, I thought it from the artist perspective. I was like, I'm leaving my job to go be an artist, and to live that life, and to see what I can make happen. What I didn't realize is that Justin Logan is a is a company, and yeah. is an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Jared Veluch is a company, is an entrepreneur. Uh, a Blake Lankford, same thing. Jacob Lee, you know, Jacob DeMint, all these guys and uh, and girls, like they are all, we are our, we are the company. Yes. And that, so you really have to think about it from a business person. Have that paradigm kinda, shift. Yep. Yeah, uh, perspective. And if, you, if I'd have thought about that before I ever left Tinker, and I'm glad I didn't, I may or may not have actually dove off because I didn't think about like, I really am like, we're, I'm CEO of this bitch yeah. and it's just me. It's just <laughs> you, bro. You're the one that's got to sweep the floors. You're the one that's got to pay the taxes. Yeah. You're there's the no one that's more the social media, like everything. Yeah. And you know, it's, I, I worked for GE in their logistics at a research and development center up in uh, Oklahoma city. And I just, let's see, coming up on two years that I've been away from there. And it was like, uh, I don't know how the decision was for you and whether it was like, for me, I was playing like six nights a week and getting in at like 2 a.m. from a gig, turn around and wake up at 6.30 and go to work mm -hmm. and just dog tired. And like, it was, it was a situation where there was no way that I was going to be able to continue like the double life and playing out that much gave me the security of, of having a, you know, enough money to pay rent and stuff like that. But it's just like you, wherever your calendar stops, that's where your financial guarantees stop. And so you just, it makes, it lights a different fire under you after you've quit your job. And I book less shows now than I did when I was working all the time. Mm -hmm. But the, the, like the quality has changed of the shows and like my, my vision and direction has, has gotten a lot more refined. Yeah. Because I have time to spend on it. And my music is way better because I have time to spend on it. And I get to have these hangs like this. And, you know, you learn from people because you have time to spend on it. Right. You're not splitting your time. So, I don't know. Some people shouldn't quit their job and do music. Some people aren't good enough at music to do it. But for those that are, like, it should be a no-brainer because you get used to it. And after the first year or so, like, you're not that broke anymore. You're still... Pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> broke, but not that broke. You learn you how know? to live. Yeah, man. You put your bills down and get just live within your means. Yeah, and that's a lot easier to do if you 
I mean, if, if that's your focus, yes. it, it can be a big problem for a lot of artists. Uh, but that's what I did. I took a look at my finances before I ever left. You know, I saved a little nest egg in case, you know, shit hits the fan. Like it always does. Yeah, because it will, and it has. Um, but it's also, it gave me that grace period to kind of figure myself out, figure out what yeah. I, what am I good at? What, I, what can I do? And now I'm, as much as I love writing music and as much as I love recording and releasing music, uh, which I'm trying to do, but um, I like being in service mm-hmm. to my friends and to the people I care about. And through this podcast, I have found a brand new side of myself by being able to like try to lift other people up mm-hmm. and to try to give us all a voice, a place to be like, hey, this is fucking Justin Logan. Yeah. You know, this is this is the guy that's that you're seeing in the bars, the guy that's out there grinding it out, you know. Uh, and we talked about Spotify earlier and how there's this grand chasm of endless artists and songs all putting their material out where you can listen to so many different things. But the problem is, is you don't, you aren't attached to them. You don't know yeah. them. And I feel like overall, there is a slow surge of people coming back to looking at their local artists, looking at the local talent, looking mm-hmm. at people that they can be like, they can follow their story by following them around Oklahoma and, yeah. and out, you know, into the other, the rest of the country as and watching them kind of chase a dream and go after this thing. Yeah. It sort of reintroduces the human back into the artist. You know yeah. what I mean? I think that there's a, a certain amount of detachment with Spotify, like, here's the thing. If you haven't heard of a band before and you don't know any of their songs and you see them on Spotify, the only reason you click on it is because they have a catchy name or good album art. Neither of those are based on the music at all whatsoever. Right. But if you go out, so like the way to vet music has changed. You know what I mean? We're vetting music through non-musical avenues, which is really interesting to me to think about that. But when you go out locally, which is what, is starting to happen you're like you're talking about it's it's vetted for you by you know how whatever the bar owner that books the place or you know your ability to stay there or go out and find it like i don't know it's just vetted differently but it's a musical choice that you're making because you hear it and you either like it or you don't that way yeah instead of just like having a skip button you know what i mean but spotify is good i was talking to my friend the other day about it and like if you just look at it differently, it is a good tool. I don't think that it's fair what they're paying musicians, but also don't think that they can pay me like that much money. So I don't know where that is. Yeah. But I know that the whole model is different now because it used to be that you sold records and went on tour to support the record. And now it's you make a record and try to get people to come to your live show with that record. So it kind of flipped, you know. Yeah. It kind of flipped around whereas like you know, Kiss, whenever they recorded a record, they'd go on tour to make people buy that record, you know? And now if they went on tour, they'd probably release the record before the tour, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So it's just, everything has kind of changed, and and that's why we don't have as much money now. And that's, I mean, Warner doesn't have as much money now, you know, no one does. So it's just, times are adjusting, and humans are getting all this new technology and learning how to navigate the world with it so it's all weird we'll figure it out eventually but it is up to us we had better because otherwise you're gonna lose a lot of art art's always the first thing yeah well i feel like a lot of people have lost a lot like i feel like we've lost a lot of art already just because of that just the dynamic shift in it like nobody's 
Nobody's making as much. No, and the attention spans are decreasing as well. So it's like, I don't know, man. There's like, there's like all these advice columns, you know, online talking about songwriting and like, you should have your hook before 30 seconds into the song if you want radios to play your thing. And it's like, man, fuck that rule, dude. Like, don't listen to that. Like, if you want to get on top 40 radio, guess what? You're going to have so many producers in the room with you. Like, if you're actually going to get on top 40 radio, you're not going to get to make a whole lot of those decisions. Like, you're not going to do that. Don't worry yeah. about that. Like, By the end of it, you're going to be just the voice yeah. or just the the original You're a specialist. Idea. Yeah. And the guy that wrote the song is a specialist and he's going to do that. But like, and that's art and that's collaborative. And I love that collaboration and stuff. But like with your, with your own music, like don't worry about when the hook hits, like what part of the song hits the hook or like, I don't know. I try to get all that out of the way. If I'm writing a song, I try to, I try to just get the song out. And then start coming back and worrying about that afterward. Like even down to the point where I had a breakthrough last year and it was like, I would write a line and then go, is that cool? And <laughs> do that after every single line, you know? And it starts to like, I feel like it, it kind of put a thumb on top of all of my ideas. Whereas now I'll like forcefully keep myself from asking that question until I get the whole thought out until I get as much of that stuff out, especially the first wave of creativity. Oh, yeah. I just try to get all that down, yeah. no matter what it is. And then afterward, after I've gotten the total cohesive thought out, then I can go, is this cool? Nine times out of 10, no. You know what I mean? But at least I got the whole idea out, which it may not be cool on line one, but by the time you get down to line three, it may tie the whole idea together and be cool. So yeah. I don't know. I feel like you got to get yourself out of your way and like... Don't read too many of those self-help, how to write music things online. Like, if you want to learn how to write music better, go talk to a songwriter. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't necessarily have to go to a, an advice column on whatever website. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've all done it too. Google. Oh, dude. How so I've worn it out. <laughs> I've worn it out. I probably have a subscription in my email right now telling me how to do it. But it's just like, I'm getting kind of exhausted, maybe information overload on like, all the different right ways to do things and stuff. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, art is just art and there's no right or wrong way. Like every approach is different. And if your hook hits at 32 seconds in, you might still make the radio. Like you'll be okay. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. They're not going to write your, they're not going to write you off because you don't have a formulaic out like, you know, anything like that. So I don't know. That was just a real, little random rant, little random peeve. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what this is for, man. Yeah, those little things because, like, when, when we talk about you know a rough idea on this podcast, but like it gets you to a place where whenever you, whenever we talk about and explore that idea, like I'll never explore that same idea with someone else, you know, yeah. or if I do, maybe some new information will pop out on the thought process. But that's what I love about doing this. Yeah, uh, you get bombarded with new creative processes. Like what you're doing is really interesting because it's like you take a dive into the, the mind of so many different artists and it really shows the individuality of it. You yeah. know what I mean? But you're getting like the firsthand, like you can apply some of the stuff that you learn from them, like just doing the podcast and listening to other people talk about their process. And like, you might come out of this the best songwriter in Oklahoma, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> we're always all hopeful that we'll be like the next great or whatever next grade like songwriters or 
on people's jerseys or some shit. Hey man, <laughs> nobody knows. I wear your jersey but all day long, man. It's fun, dude. It's really fun. I, I, we're always, I'm always in the pursuit of writing the best possible song in whatever way it takes. And, but I definitely agree with you wholeheartedly and not worrying about the formula. I think about the formulas just for, just for the sake of maybe wanting to write something dancey or whatever. But yeah. I don't, I don't concentrate on necessarily when a, a hook comes in or whatever. Yeah, um, I'm not doing math to add up the seconds of like how long this verse is and all yeah, this and that. I'm not saying. You know, like I do worry about the formulas in so far as when we get to the arrangement portion of recording a song well, yeah, or something like, you know, you're going to think about it and you're going to think about, you know, cutting riffs in half and things like that. But Well, yeah, but if my intro alone is 20 seconds and then my verse takes up another 40 before I ever get to the chorus... We're probably going to trim on that a little bit. Yeah, but, I mean, it is what it is. But that's, in my opinion, the song is already written at that point. Mm -hmm. And all you're doing now is just playing with the pieces. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that a song is written, some people would argue that it's not and that arrangement is like super part of the writing process. And it is, but you can record a song four different ways and have four different songs and it's still the same song. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So the song is written before the arrangement and the way I look at it, at least. Yeah, you've got the custom pieces already yeah. there that make it what it is. And so that's like the the same thing in recording. Like if, you, if you're recording and you, you're mixing people the whole time that you're recording them, like you're going to be doing, you're doing things so out of order that you can't even get a good mix necessarily that way. And this is something I'm guilty of, you know what I mean? But it's like if you just hold off and let that workflow let them like do things at the time that they need to. Man, and it and, all comes in stages yeah, and it's that way for a reason. It is. And that, and it naturally you do things in that way. You may not even realize that you're doing things the standard way or whatever, but like, it's just, it's just a natural thing. And I've worked with a lot of different songwriters in different writing sessions and like a million different ways to do it. But it all boils down to at the end of the day, you know, you freestyle random lines to each other and sing on an acoustic guitar until you find something that sticks. So it's like, it's not so mystical when you think of it like that. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, so we when so you played music to just to get back a little bit. Yeah. You, um, you played mountain dulcimer as a kid yep. and I'm sure you still play the shit out of that mm -hmm. thing. Uh, so when did you actually start performing in the way that you do now? Um, because I know you actually play, you write music, you sing and play your own songs. Like, when did that part start? Um, I, my first band experience, like, organized music, I would say, I don't know, man. We had these things called hoot nannies in my family. And yeah. it was just like a big family reunion, you know, and all the music people would come through. And I can remember playing those types of things, you know, six, seven for sure eight years old when I got my drum set because that's when that's when I think my music is like started. Yeah, eight like years the old. actual journey yeah. of it. Like eight years old, you know, got the got the drum set and took off from there. My first band situation was probably in like seventh grade. Nice. And we were playing Reliant K and we were playing at the talent show and at the skating rink and, you know, the yes. typical like stereotypical you know, teenager stuff, real angsty rock and roll music. Oh yeah. But, uh, I don't know, man. It's, it all led to a place. It all led to this. So 
I'm gr- I'm glad for it, and I'm really glad that I got music so young because it. I think that it just made it so much more natural for me, like to learn other instruments. Every time I learn a new instrument, it happens pretty fast because it. I started learning instruments so young. It's like kind of part of who I am, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but there's also I've met people that are like savants that music that didn't start playing until you know into their 20s like Derek Paul didn't start playing guitar until he was like 23 or something like that mm, yeah like come on he's an incredible songwriter so there's there's two sides to it I guess but I'm glad I'm glad that I'll put it this way if my kid wants to learn music at a young age I'm not gonna stop you know what I mean oh yeah I mean I'm I'm grateful that I picked up right when I did uh, it was more of a natural progression of like a kid going through public school and mm-hmm. then I started playing sax whenever band time came around and then I really started digging it and started playing all the time and all that and uh, even played in a few bands doing sax and then that's how you started the band thing I mean it was a little bit of both mm-hmm. uh, my first girlfriend's dad had a band down in Norman and they were like a blues rock kind of thing and we had just started doing 12 bar blues progressions in high school in the jazz band. And I was like, and he asked if I wanted to jump in on a show and like all this stuff. I'm Jam like, sandwich. screw it, man, yep. let's do it. And I remember doing, uh, let me see. We did, uh, the Rose rock festival. Oh, in Noble. Uh, in Noble. Yeah. Um, one time. And like, I just, uh, fucking erupted on sax and just killed it. Like I just, totally tore down the solo like and in that moment i was like i'm the fucking king of the world yep (laughs) i'm unstoppable yep and so i just i rode that high i've always as far as being like in the moment creativity like i'm very very good on my feet like i i hate pre-planned anything um when it comes to solos uh just personally because i'm gonna fuck it up yeah yeah i I, I just am in in almost intentionally so Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like there's that's why I think there's such a difference for me between solo sections and instrumentals. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like a solo section is almost by nature like an improv thing. And I, that's how I like guitar solos and stuff to be. But like, you know, carrying a motif is differently, like carrying a melody through it. But I was very much like, I thought I was a lot more organized than I am actually. Whenever I first started doing music and like launched my own real personal career i think my my solo career started like when i was 21 or 22 uh because of john bomb boy actually i don't know if you know him or not he's a he's from hmm. around ada he's got a really cool podcast or a really cool uh review show for pedals and stuff it's called pedals and chill but anyway he got nice. me my first solo show and uh it's just like I don't know. It, before that, it was always a band, and I was always attached to a band, and and that was the first time that I came into like the realization of like, this is my music, and I'm hiring musicians to play my music with me or whatever. Like it's that's that's a part of it that I didn't really think about before very much, and so I don't know, man. It's like it's it's hard to know what all music entails without getting into it and stuff but like i feel like people don't talk as much about the organization skills that you have to have to do this as well like oh yeah to be able to communicate musically 
with other musicians that are like hired guns almost. Yeah, and so quickly. Yeah, yeah, in a quick amount of time is a, like that's when you have to like, that's when a lot of musicians come into a realization that like. I do need that theory class. Yeah, I do need to understand theory. I need to be able to tell them this is a one, four, five progression, Mm -hmm. you know, and then boom, we're going to a two, three, seven, you know, into the whatever for the, as a bridge into the, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and if you can't in the key of C and then away we go one, two, three, four train beat go <laughs> or whatever it is. You can say that information to a certain level of player and there no worries, dude. Like that's the, the one of the fun things about playing with uh, the chance Anderson stuff is mm-hmm. like the musicians at, at that level are so good. Like they're so good. Like, uh, Andrew Bear, I don't know if you know him or not. He's from Tulsa. I've heard that name a couple he's of a, times. He's an incredible keyboard player. He's an incredible producer, uh, incredible recording engineer. But he's the kind of guy that is like conduct, like can conduct the whole thing, you know, while he's playing the most insane keyboard parts you've ever heard. And just like when you get to that level, these are guys that that did spend time on theory when they were younger and did spend time going through, you know, drum line with metronome in their ear for eight years or whatever, you know, and that, that kind of stuff is, is really important to the seasoned pro, but that's not, he still gets hired by a songwriter that doesn't know theory. You know what I mean? I'm not oh, talking yeah. about chance, chance knows some theory and stuff, but like, right, right. you know, he's still going to get hired by somebody that doesn't know. So there's also a challenge on the other side of that in like being able to bridge the gap the language gap that's there. And so like, that's why like that song sounds creamy. Like that's why those, those kind of descriptions exist is because you can't say that song was played at mezzo piano and it was played with this kind of piano, like whatever, you know, there's a, there's a weird bridge that you have to kind of get over with that. Oh, for sure. I've seen in classical music playing in high school, I've seen, mezzo piano and then in parentheses dreamy yeah yeah see they even I mean, do it on notation yeah even with notation there are composers that are like this is the emotion i'm going for play it fucking quiet play it quietly <laughs> it's not gonna be a dream if you're loud trumpet guy right and that's <laughs> and that's basically what it is like there is those bridges are there because no matter how organized you want to make music it's still just art mm-hmm. i mean it is an expression of emotion and ideas. And, and so there's always going to have to, a bridge has always had to exist. That's sort of what the music is in and of itself is like the, you can, you can try to communicate an idea of how to play a thing all day long, but until you show it to somebody, a lot of times it won't click in there. So like, there's your bridge, I guess. Yeah. Like you, you have to, notes. yeah, you have to let the, whatever, rubber meet the asphalt. Kind yeah, of thing. put the ass <laughs> in asphalt, man. That's right. But, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, one of the more formative things in my songwriting, though, around that same time was the first time that I started recording. I'm talking about when Bomb Boy got me my first solo show. Oh, yeah. Uh, at that same time, I had just started recording my own music and not in a band environment where someone was drumming for me. It was like the first time that I played all the instruments on it got the songs the way that I wanted them to be, you know, and, and had ventured into the recording process as well. And so that is when, that was another big, like, turning point for me 
in a creative element, especially because it was one step closer to chasing that mind's ear thing that we were talking about earlier, where I hear this version of this song and it's got to be at least closer to that. Like that was, that was another step toward that. And, uh, so since then, honestly, that's a blessing and a curse to be able to play all the instruments that you need. Like Prince could do the same thing. You know, Prince had that, by the end of his life, he had that incredible studio up there, was in there constantly and could have played any part probably better than the guy that he hired it to do. But that eliminates the social and the, like the collaborative element of music. And like, if I'm in here for 12 hours a day working on just my songs and I don't see another human, I'm going to make a pretty weird record. Oh, yeah. Like, it's going to be a little bit too weird. And it's going to, if I ever finish it, you yeah. know what I mean? But in... Well, and by well, the end of it, in, it can feel kind of sterile almost. Yeah. Like, you wore it out and you didn't have anyone to bounce things off of to say, hey, that's good. Keep going. Or, ooh, maybe try a different route on that one, you know? Like, that's a crucial part of music. And, yeah. and the social element of music and the creation of music is, like really important to the process as well, you know? Because we need it, like, a lot of the reason that most of us play music is because we need some kind of feedback. We need some kind of positive feedback or whatever. We just need to know that someone is thinking, you know, about us and that, like, what we're doing is cool and, like, some kind of verification that our life is valid. You know what I mean? It's kind of a weird, weird phenomenon with musicians where, like, we're narcissists, but we also have no self-confidence. <laughs> it's such yeah. a weird place to be, man. It is. People, yeah. I know that I'm good at what I do, but I am Still need super, to say it. yeah, I'm stu super uh, insecure about it, even as a fucking 32-year-old adult man. <laughs> I know, dude. It's like, you know, we have everything together really well, and like yeah. life is going great. Still feel like I should be just shitting on myself all the time. It's It's that weird. I think that comes with being a creative. I really do. Yeah, you're always questioning, and I'm always. I see every defect anytime I perform, anyway. So it's mm -hmm. not a stretch for someone to, in my mind, be like, "Oh, that sucked. You messed this up, this up, this up." I'm like, if anyone's as observant as I am, they're gonna know they, about this place. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna know about this. They never do. No, and or most if they people do, they won't say anything about it. Yeah, they hear the product. They mm -hmm. hear the overall. They hear the performance. They hear the. A lot of times, people hear what they see. Mm -hmm. That's and so a big part of it too. Whenever I watch you perform a song versus just hearing it, it adds such a beautiful aspect of it because even if you, that's why people love to hear somebody go for a high note. Even, yeah. if, you, even if somebody misses that high note in person, if you're watching them do it, you see the whole body go. Get the you, energy. You see the energy erupt from that person. And it and, invokes and it, that. And yeah. it just, it pull, that pulls you in. And that's something that's beautiful, even though, you, you know, oh, yeah, you were 12 cents flat or, or whatever. It, is. it doesn't really matter at that no, point. No, and that's, that's the key in why I think that live music is going to have such a big resurgence again, you know. And I, don't, I think that that's important that it does for society because it's going to bring back some attention span. Because, like, dude, seriously, right now, like a lot of people can't go five seconds on a single thought sometimes. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just skipping and we're getting chopped up. And with a live show, there's not a skip button. There's not a like, but I find myself all the time just completely 
encapsulated by a performance that someone gives. And I'm not wishing that they were done or wishing I could skip a song or something. I'm just listening to the music and just like being taken to a place by someone. And I think that that honesty and that genuine kind of transmission of ideas is very human and very much will get us out of these cell phones a little bit and maybe back into some more human, uh, healthy things, you know? Yeah. Human interaction, some actual transmission of energy between people in person. Yes. You know, like I want to hear their vocal cords be the reason the air is moving. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And not, not some headphones. And so that's, that's the magic of it. I think probably some of my favorite music memories are like a campfire where someone had a guitar and I was probably a little drunk or something, you know what I mean? But like, I could just, I connected to that moment and that's, that's what you're trying to do when you write a song is connect people to a moment. Yeah. Like have this relation with them. So. Yeah. I was talking about this the other day with somebody. It's not what you like a week from now, two weeks from now, a year from now, 30 years from now, you're going to remember so certain moments in your life, not because of what was said, not because of what you heard, but because of how that moment made you feel. People remember feelings more than they remember anything else. Yeah, details get really fuzzy, but you can still see the big picture. And like, yeah. the big picture is how you felt. That's a really beautiful thought. That's something that I try to keep in mind every time I'm interacting with people. Um, it's not, I mean, because I, I very rarely will remember things that people ever say, but I know that I love that person. Mm-hmm. I care about that person. I want good things for that person. And that never goes away because of the way we made each other feel. That's right. And so that's, that's one of the things I, I always try to hold on to that. This so. is kind of a zooming out of sorts, you know what I mean? Looking at the big picture and not getting so consumed with details sometimes. And that's, yeah. That goes back to songwriting too. Like that's, there's such a thing as spending too much time trying to refine a song and stuff and trying to like, oh, yeah. you know, bust down the barriers that you can't get this line of this course and stuff. And you can't, you know, whatever mechanical problem you're having is like, sometimes you just need to zoom out and think about the first thought that you had when you were starting to write that song and why that feeling existed and see if you can get yourself into that space again, you know? Yeah. And sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, but if not, it's like I was listening to the the Derek Paul podcast that you had earlier today, and it's like cannibalize it. It's okay. It's still useful. <laughs> yeah. Just chop it up, and you'll use it for something else. Uh, Man, nothing's ever done in vain. No, dude. The song uh, "The Chain" by uh, Fleetwood Mac. I was watching uh, a behind the scenes thing the other day, weirdly <laughs> enough, and uh, the, that song is like a combination of three separate songs, one of which got released by Fleetwood Mac before uh, they became the final iteration of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it was like three different songs and it was verbatim parts, like either the exact words or like the guitar part. That He took that as it was the motif of another song and he took it and put it on that song. And that's how it became one of the greatest songs ever written. So... <laughs> You know, there's nothing done in vain. And I don't know how Derek does it where he doesn't write anything down. I can't, I got notebooks everywhere, dude. Yeah, we talked about that. And I'm not that way. I record it. I freaking write it down. I do all that. I can't. There's no way. I 
I have such a piss poor memory when mm-hmm. it comes to my own words that like I struggle remembering what I'm singing when I've sang the song a thousand yeah, times. Dude. I'll just listen to the recording of it and I'll already have forgotten the words. And my, I think that I probably lost my greatest songs ever to my memory. Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like the first time you're, you're starting to feel a song out and that first creative pass, which is the most important one. Yeah, because it, it's unencumbered by thought. Yep. It's just a beautiful release of something. It's just meeting the vibe of what you're playing, man. And like you only get that one time. And it, that's always the time that you don't have the voice recorder running or you don't have oh, something yeah. to tape it, something to, to bring that back. And so then you're just like trying to recreate that and doing a pretty bad job. And so I just like, if I sit down with an instrument, even if I know I'm just going to practice or something, I'm trying to get myself in the habit of turning on the recorder and just deleting it if I don't afterward. But like right. the spontaneity of songwriting is such that like you... I might be sitting down to practice and accidentally like stumble into something and mess around and write a song right there. And like, if there's nothing there to record it, it's gone forever. Cause I'm not going to remember what I said or how I said it. So no. And the way you leaned into certain notes yeah. and the mel- like that shit drives me wild. I'll, I'll write down the words and then I'll go back and be like, fuck, I don't even know how I, how did I deliver that? How like, did I deliver that yeah. to where that had, because I remember I, how it made me feel <laughs> was that I, there was a lot of weight because of this one word. And then when I say it again, I'm like, that's not how I said it. Like, not, why don't I feel that? I don't feel what I felt whenever I did that. That's it, man. It's chasing the musical red dragon. Sucks. <laughs> it does. It's invigorating though, because it's like, well, I don't know. I was going to say it makes your memory better, but mine is not better. No, mine doesn't show any signs of improvement. No, I think we're going the other way, buddy. Yeah, but whatever. I'm I'm barely hanging on most days. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm just trying to get through the day, trying to get as quickly as possible to a place where I can play music and that be right. what I'm doing. Well, somebody <laughs> will reach out to me on a day like today when I was on my way down here and, and be like, and I, I have to like gut, I have a gut check moment where I'm like, what day is this? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a weird part of it too. When you go full time, man, it's like yeah, because the, the work never ends, and no. so you're just constantly making it from one appointment to the next, and you don't really realize like, oh yeah, I said I'd be here on this date at this time on Tuesday. Is it actually Tuesday? Is it Tuesday? <laughs> I don't know. The days of the week are weird to me. Like, I can always tell when it's a week day because I won't have some gig or some nagging thing in the back of my brain going, "You have to be somewhere today. You have to be somewhere today." But like. Now with the studio, there is that in, on the other side because like I have sessions out here quite a bit and stuff like that. So I'm almost like adjusting back to work life in a way, except that I can work it sort of ad nauseum. But uh, it's it's weird, man. Being full time is really weird for clock. Like time didn't exist to me for the first year. Mm-hmm. I was late to everything. I'm still late to everything. But I was so late to everything for that first year because time like when you take your weekend away and you just work all the time, no matter what, like you don't know what time it is. You don't know what day it is. Like none of that stuff. It's insane. Yeah. It's weird, dude. I, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the song that you're, that we're going to feature here on the podcast today. Um, it is titled bloodline and it has a really, really, nice kind of pulsing moving feel that just kind of eases you on through this story that you have uh, go ahead and tell us the 
tell people the writing process for this song for you and the story of it. Sure. So uh, a few months back, one of my close friends and confidants uh, passed away and she was young. She was 27, I think. She had just turned 28. And uh, that was pretty hard. And I have, uh, you know, the emotions that come along with grieving and stuff like that. Like, it, it was heavy. And one of the reasons that I write songs is to deal with things that are heavy, you know, for me. And, oh, yeah. And it's... So this song sort of came to me in almost like a, a lump package, you know, like... It was some tying together of, of missing my friend, being sad for for her loss, and also just like my own my own thoughts and beliefs and, and wants for myself and reconciling the difference between where I was and what I was doing and the behaviors and things like that and who I wanted to be and who I saw myself as, you know. And so this song is a... Uh, is sort of a, a commentary on going through those struggles and, and, and wrestling with your own mind with, uh, you know, your decisions and, and your things that make up the, the moral fiber within you and, and tell you where your boundaries are and stuff. And, like, if you don't have boundaries, you'll do terrible things and you could, you don't know when to stop doing them and you can die from them. You know what I mean? And that... That's really selfish to do that. Yeah. It's really selfish to take it that far. And like, that was some of the thing I was dealing with when I wrote this song was being upset with her for being so selfish in that way. And it's because I do the same thing. And so this was sort of a reckoning with that. And so I'd, I'd been messing around with, you know, different chords and stuff and just kind of playing, just trying to do music so I wouldn't be thinking so much about the heavy things. And then, you know, the thing happened where you're just writing and you hit the right chord progression and it hits whatever emotion you needed to hit and things just, in that first line, uh, I think it says a handful of rocks. And that was just like such a good image to me that after that, like the whole song basically wrote itself and I, I wrestled with it for four hours one day and then the next day I wrestled with it for another two or so on the lyrics and then it was done. Yeah. It was so crazy. Like sometimes that happens with songs and it's really cool when it does, especially when they're so close to you and meaningful like this song is, you know, I wanted to make sure it was right because of the emotional, you know, connotations in it and stuff. And every time I ever hear this song, I'll think of my friend you know, so I wanted to make sure that it was reverent and that it was more than just some kind of catchy tune or something. I wanted it to, to carry some weight with it. And that's something I've been trying to do in my songwriting anyways, is be uh, more honest and kind of take away the veil of the stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, not try to be some glamorous whatever thing that people want musicians to be and maybe just like be a human being and, and show people that. And I love songwriting done from that frame of mind, you know? So I've been trying to apply that. Uh, the song's in 6-8. It just kind of naturally came out that way. It just kind of has that sway to it, uh, you know, one, heavy on one and two. And, and so uh, originally I, I wrote the song in such a way that I didn't expect to have 
much more than like accessorial percussion and you know maybe some bowed bass or something something with no yeah. attack with hard like no transients coming into it and then it sort of morphed itself into a ballad uh you know with full instrumentation i'm still not 100% sold on that idea uh the the song arrives at a moment uh toward the end of the or going into the third chorus after the kind of low instrumental section and when i first started recording it uh it didn't feel like it ever arrived there with just the the voice and the acoustic guitar in the studio uh and so i i sort of started putting the the rest of the instruments with it just to kind of try to figure out what was going to make it arrive to that moment and and be just right yeah and so that's where i'm at in the song development it's sort of uh trying to make the rest of the supporting instruments and parts uh carry that weight and be just as serious as the featured parts are and you know that's that's some of the fun part of creating music in the studios you get to deal with that balance and stuff of the instruments and making sure the parts are all emotional but not over the top and stuff so yeah you got to build an atmosphere yeah for it yep and that's that's it and and you know most people the consumer of music maybe just listens to it and mostly hears the words or mostly hears like they don't know all the stuff that goes into the supporting stuff but you know and that's a good way to listen to music. I I love that. I do it sometimes. I can catch myself doing it. But, you know, I, in learning how to create music and produce music and, and make it sound like that, uh, you know, I've had to learn how to create space, you know, create width in things and create sort of like you were saying, an atmosphere for it to live in, like an environment yeah. for the song to exist in. And that's like dealing more with the notes that you don't put into the song, I think. I think that space and rests are like the most vital part of songs that beginning songwriters get wrong most of the time, you know? Oh yeah, they're obsessed with keeping sound the whole time yeah. and all this stuff. And there's um, there's a beauty to building a melody and then letting it and then having it have to leap with silence mm -hmm. and then be carried to come back in. And it gives it caught. time to sink in and for the idea to marinate in your brain. And, you know, that's like all of my favorite songs, like all the great songs. I can think of like, okay, like a, a song like uh, Gravity by John Mayer. It's like a real slow kind of song. There's a mm -hmm. lot of space between notes. On the live version, like he rips mad guitar solos, but on the studio version where he's trying to get the vibe, there's so there's no fast moving notes. There's no I don't know if there's a sixteenth note in the whole song, you know? It's all kind of low into the vibe and like it's beautiful, but it's because there's so much space and there's time for every note to kind of sink in. You never even notice like Pino Palladino playing bass back there, even though he's one of the best bass players ever to live. He's just on the root most of the time, you know? Yeah. And, like, that is musicianship, man. Like, not playing too much is more important to me than overplaying. I'll hire somebody 10 times out of 10 that isn't as good of a player but that doesn't overplay as I would, like, the savant that does overplay and is better at his instrument, but he's not better at music. Yeah, you know what I mean? He's constantly worried about proving it. 
Yeah, and like I don't, you know, I, we should all be servants of the song and servants of the the vibe of the music in general, over our own personal whatever talent show stuff. Talent show music, I don't I don't like it. Yeah. You know, it's it's cool, and the cool thing about music is everybody can like any kind of music. But my I don't consume very much like talent show solo heavy music. I like to I like thoughtful arrangements and stuff too. So yeah. It's uh, it's all changing. I'm sure when I'm 60, I'll be back into Aerosmith and stuff. <laughs> Probably so. Steven Tyler will outlive me, so we'll see. <laughs> Can outlive everybody. Yeah. Even live. Um, well, cool, man. Uh, I can't wait for people to check this song out. Um, so what are the best avenues to kind of follow along with Justin Logan to figure out what you're doing and to kind of stay plugged in on your stuff? Well, so we have this internet machine and you can get on there. Okay. So the thing is there's a Google search for Justin Logan and there's a meteorologist in Minnesota that's going to (laughs) be above me. But after you get past the meteorologist, you'll find me down there, Justin Logan music. And, uh, my Facebook, I use it quite a bit. We talked earlier about how much I hate social media. Oh, I get it. I really do. But I'm, uh, I'm undergoing a like change. And I have like this regiment that's installed into my life of doing that more. So you can keep up with me there. That's where my show calendar is and stuff. And then uh, Chance Anderson Band, I'm playing out with him and we have quite a bit going on. So uh, just follow me on the internet and then uh, come to my shows. And the best way to know where I'm doing, like where I am, what I'm doing is just like talk to me in person because that's that's where I exist. I don't exist in the phone so much. So (laughs) anyway, uh, I have records coming out and I have lots and lots of projects that I've been working on that are about to hit the, the public. So definitely do that. And, uh, yeah, Justin Logan, not the meteorologist. (laughs) That should be your new catchphrase. That'll be my (laughs) www.notthemeteorologist. It's perfect. Yep. All right, man. Well, shoot. Thanks for, uh, well, Dude. thanks for coming on today, and I'm yeah. thankful that I you invited me out here to the cabin. And yeah, we're gonna record a song of yours now. It's gonna be really fun. Oh yeah. But uh, thank you for doing this podcast. One for having me on. I appreciate that. And then two for like doing this to shine some light on all the talent in Oklahoma because it's a bed, man. This place has something different about it. It's like that borderland I was talking about earlier. It yeah. just bumps into so many different things. There's an insane amount of talent per capita here. So thank you from the scene to you. We are really grateful for you, brother. Hell yeah, man. I appreciate you. Yeah. All right, you guys. Stick around. Check out Bloodline and stay plugged in on Justin Logan. This guy's. I pray for great big things happening for him, and he is putting out the work. So he's somebody worth checking out. All right. Yeah. So thanks, uh, thanks again. and Yeah, thanks, Baluch. Hell yeah. We'll catch you guys next time. Later.
Just never 